want to do more than follow orders, think outside of the box, and manifest your dreams, then you've come to the right show. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a gold star daughter, veteran spouse, and entrepreneur. For season seven, I am ecstatic to be in partnership with the Rosie Network to highlight motivational stories of personal growth, financial awareness, and autonomy in our military community. Now, let's get started. Hey, everyone. I got a question for you. Have you ever experienced a setback in your career plan that made you wish you had a plan B? Well, the founder and CEO of Speaking Up with Wendy Baird Packard can speak about this from personal and professional experience. I had the fortune of speaking with Wendy to hear about her experience as a military spouse for the last 17 years, a former employee of the Transition Assistance Program, OMG. I'm actually pretty excited about this because our company here at US Bet Wealth, we often have service members who are transitioning speak to us and share their candid thoughts about what it was like going through transition assistant programs. And she's also a 2023 graduate of the Rosie Network's Service to CEO program. Wendy drew from her husband's experience transitioning from the military to civilian life, which was challenged with financial difficulties and instability. This motivated her to help others transition effectively. And today, she works as a career counselor and coach, helping people develop career plans and overcome challenges like fear of success. Listen to Wendy's valuable insights from transitioning service members on career transitions, overcoming challenges, and balancing life responsibilities. Wendy, it was a pleasure having you on our show, and I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I also want to take this time to thank my company, US Vet Wealth, for making this an ad-free conversation. All the ads you're going to hear are just in the beginning. So if you don't want to hear it, you can fast forward right now. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't know anyway. (laughs) But yes, I want to thank my company, US Vet Wealth, for making this conversation ad-free. And part of why we make it ad-free is to let you all know now in this very moment that we offer a lot of free resources in our free portal, our free podcast portal on holdingdownthefortpodcast.com forward slash portal. This portal not only provides bonus content from this show, it also provides a ton of free financial education and resources straight from our company, US Vet Wealth, for the military retiree. So if you're looking for all of that stuff or you just want to take a peek and see what's going on in there, because you can always cancel your account. I I could care less, honestly. You know, go ahead and check it out. Holdingdownthefortpodcast.com forward slash portal. And also, <laughs> we have a podcast within the podcast portal. It's the podcast portal podcast. There is a name for it, but for now in the public in, in holding down the four, I'm calling it the the podcast portal, the portal podcast. Wait, the podcast portal podcast. Pod, can you say that five times fast? Podcast portal podcast, podcast portal podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm laughing at myself. Anyway, you can get a ton of valuable information and resources there. Once again, that's holding down the four podcast.com forward slash portal. And with that said, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you stick around after the outro to join me for a post commentary. Until then, thanks again, Wendy, and enjoy this conversation.
All right. And today we have Wendy Baird Packard with us. Wendy, welcome to season seven of Holding Down the Forts by US Bet Wealth and the Rosie Network. So happy to have you on today. Thank you. Hello, Jen. I'm excited to be here. We've had a, a good visit prior to this, so I'm excited to jump in and visit with you today. Yeah, yeah. I got to commend you. When we were talking offline, you did your research into our company, my company, US Bet Wealth. And as an interview style podcaster, my headspace is always like making it about the other person. So when someone kind of turns the tables around and like looks into me, it's like, oh, that is so thoughtful. So I mean, <laughs> I think this ties in with like what you do as, as a career counselor, mm-hmm. which we'll get to later. But I just want to let you know that I appreciated you doing that prior research, you know, before we spoke for the first time. Absolutely. Thank you. And you're welcome. And we will talk about that as part of your career search. Research is really important. So you know where to start kind of thing. But absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, I do have some icebreaker questions. And I'd love for you to pick a number between one and five. And I'm going to pull out a question. I know. I don't even know what question I'm going to pull up. So pick a number (laughs) (laughs) between one and five. And then we'll go from there. All right. Let's go with five. Five. Okay. We'll go with this one. (laughs) You're going to laugh at this. I already know the answer to this. Are you a cat or a dog person? <laughs> and oh, explain. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yay, that's a good one. And Jen, you absolutely know, since we've already talked about it. And normally behind me, if you can see this, is a dog sitting behind me. So totally dog person. Had a dog my whole entire life. Yeah. There's a very short period of time where there wasn't a dog in my household. And I was like, oh, never again. <laughs> never. I will always have a dog in the household. But you know what? I wouldn't mind having a cat too. But my child is allergic to them. Uh, So someday in retirement, I think we'll have a barn and we'll have a barn cat probably that that helps us with mice. But totally dog person all the way. Love it. Yeah. I'm a little conflicted because I have a dog and a cat. I did have my dog first. The cat was kind of on accident. Long story short, it was uh, we found this cat was following us around. Actually, we were staying at an Airbnb on a farm. And this cat, the farm cat, kept following us around. And in the end, the landlords were like, we don't want to keep the cat. Like, you know, we already, we already taught it to, you know, fend for itself and hunt mice and all that. And do you want it? And we took it. So we've had this cat for two years now. I got to tell you, like having a dog for like six years. I, and I grew up with a dog as well. This is my first experience with a cat. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of growing pains and like coexisting with a cat. Absolutely. I will say, though, like definitely the benefits of having a cat is like you have your in-house pest control. Like I never worry about like cockroaches or mice or anything because the cat is really good at finding them. I mean, I'm going to say I have like a love hate relationship with this with the cat. But like on occasion, I mean, this doesn't happen lately because we have a housekeeper now. But like on occasion, like back then, I would see a cockroach just face up like just upside down. Um, And that's what my cat would do. My cat would just play around with these cockroaches, flip them and then get bored and walk away. So it freaks me out when I see them. At the same time, I'm happy that I can vacuum them a lot easier (laughs) because my cat did so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I feel about cats. But I guess I'm a both if you ask me. (laughs) Yeah. We grew up with cats and cats would always bring us home things. You know, and I think every cat owner has had this experience where they like bring you this prize. Like, here's a dead lizard. And you're like, oh, thank you. It's like I thought of you. I am glad my cat doesn't do that because I've heard cat owners that they, they'll bring home dead things and or it's still yeah. alive. Like they are they were playing with a yeah. mouse outside. And it's like here. And then it just runs in the house. Like I've heard those stories. I'm like, yeah. I'm so glad my cat is so stoic about those things. Like I know that I yeah. know that we'll find dead stuff outside in the front yard, but I'm glad he kept it out there. So anyway, <laughs> But yes, dogs are great. Like dogs are great. Great for protection. You know, they bark, Mm -hmm. let you know if someone unfamiliar is outside. And 
you know, I, I love dogs for their loyalty and they're just such people pleasers. <laughs> We're so excited. I mean, in and out, five minutes in between, they're so excited to see you. Like, you know, it's just constant, instant love. And so, and just that I like to walk. And so I always like to walk with a dog just for the safety, just the energy. I just, you know, I really love it. Although we used to live in Colorado and I was very new to the mountain setting. Mm -hmm. And I took one of the dogs I have now and we just, we drove up the mountain and I found a dirt road and we just walked through the woods in the mountain on dirt road. And he got very, very nervous very, very quickly. And I was like, what is going on? What is, yeah. I didn't even think, didn't even think. Went back down the mountain, went home, told my husband, he said, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I just was walking around. He's like, you have meat on a leash out in the middle of the woods. And yeah. sure as heck, and then the week after there was mountain oh. lion sightings in that area and that dog knew it. And, oh my but gosh. man, I was just very lucky. Don't yeah. <laughs> let me walk with my dog through the mountains. You yeah, know? you're like, he's like, like, mom, like I'm just like bait out here right now. <laughs> yeah, right. He was totally freaking out. He's like, this is not a good plan. And I'm like, all right, we'll go back. You know? Well, thank God so, that your dog did not get eaten and you guys can right? run safely. <laughs> and now we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Wendy, thank you for opening up with that icebreaker question. I, I feel like nowadays for the season, it's just a great way to open up and, you know, just like flex mm-hmm. our muscles here, our, our vocal muscles and before we actually get into it. So with that being said, I'm really excited to chat with you because one thing I think is unique about your story is that you used to work with the Transition Assistance Program by the Department of Labor. And a lot of the work that my husband and I do does focus on military retirees, like transitioning service members. And I got to say, the number one thing we often hear is that, and this is what they're saying. I'm not saying this. I'm just saying this on behalf of people who've said this. So please no one sue me when I I say this. Yeah. Is that, (laughs) yeah, I'm just quoting other people, but other people have told me because I personally haven't been through it myself. So just to protect myself here, I have often heard, or we have often heard that TAP wasn't enough for them for their transition. And so I'm very fascinated to have this conversation with you to start us off because you actually worked with uh, TAP. So tell us about what that experience was like for you, because I know you've already moved on from working there. Yeah. So what I can tell you about TAP or the Transition Assistance Program is it's always evolving. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to make it better. But in order to be 100% to every person that's transitioning out of the military, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, Everybody is very unique in their journey and what they're going to do and really unique in their mindset. Mm -hmm. So where is their head getting out? And that is a huge part of that program. So how they sit in that program and think about that program is, in fact, what they're going to think about that program. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I also will say 100% it had to do with the effectiveness of the instructor. Mm -hmm. So if the instructor was engaged in every participant's journey, which it was possible to do, I had classes of five people, I had classes of 50 people. Mm -hmm. And when I was teaching, it was three days long. Mm -hmm. And it was all career oriented in those three days. You had a very structured curriculum to go by, but you had flexibility to apply it to the circumstance of your class or to an individual. Mm. So the instructor that stood there and just went through the book, you're right. That's probably not the most effective use of that program. The instructor that got to know what every need of their student was Mm -hmm. and then tried to make it applicable to that student, those people got a lot more out of it than just sitting through the class. So it had a lot to do with who was instructing and how they're instructing, which is a secondary part of my own company, which how you present information Mm -hmm is how it's received. And if you just present information, like in these classes, a lot of times it wasn't received because they didn't want to be there. Yeah, They were, you know, their headspace is, 
they've got to move. They don't know what's happening. Maybe they're leaving because of a medical transition. Maybe it's an article, like they were in trouble. So there might be some litigation involved. Maybe they're leaving because their spouse left them. Mm. You know, their headspace in that environment was 100% somewhere else. Yeah. And so the effectiveness of the program lies solely on the effectiveness of the person that's presenting the program to them and how interested they are in each individual. So I made it a point. We went around. I wanted to talk to every single person and find out what their plan was. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, about 80% of the time, the plan from the beginning of the class to the plan at the end of the class was very, very different. So we would work through kind of the logistics of the plan that they thought they wanted. So a great example, and I would get this a lot, is if I had somebody that was in artillery or infantry or in police protection in the military, they naturally want to transition out into something like a police officer, Mm -hmm. firefighter, something like that. And in their headspace, they're like, I'm just going to go out. Anybody's going to want to hire me. Mm -hmm. I'm a military person. I've got tons of experience. And I'm going to walk right into these agencies. And the fact and reality was that wasn't the case. If there some of those agencies required a school that Mm -hmm. you had to go six, eight months for. Some of those agencies required a college education or at least an associate's degree. And then I would always say, great, we can work through that and let's get a plan for that. But what if you're unable to do that? What if, God forbid, you go home and you trip in the airport and blow out your knee, you can no longer be a policeman What's your next plan? Yeah. So again, those classes are very effective if they're applied correctly with getting the attendees to really think about A, B, and C and not just shoving a lot of information down their throat. Because I would see their faces about day two when we got into resumes and you can write three or four different types of resumes. Mm -hmm. They would just be like overwhelmed. They're like, I can't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. So a lot of times... Again, depending on the instructor, I would write their resumes for them the first time. I'd go home at night and I'd type up all their resumes and go, look, this is what it's going to look like. And this is how we're going to adjust it. And this is how we're going to fix it. And I got a lot of great feedback from those. I mean, there were very few people, I feel, that left my class. And and many of my co-instructors were very good as well, mm-hmm. where they didn't have a good plan. But the key to this class also is it's a beginning. They have to use the resources that are provided for them. So reaching out to agencies like yours or reaching out to Hierarch Euros or the USO, there are so many agencies that will continue to walk with them. It's really just that TAPS class is really just a, hey, this is the beginning and here's a lot of information. Now you're going to have to follow up and you're going to have to move on with it. So I think it's a great program if it's applied correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And I was looking at the TAP website and one of the things that they offer under it is the Employment Fundamentals of Career Transition. So EFCT is one of the programs. And it specifically says it's a one day foundational workshop that introduces the essential tools and fundamentals you need to evaluate like post-separation career options. Uh, search for employment, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm hearing from you is that it's an introduction. It's meant to introduce, it's meant to give an overview. And it's up to the service member to, you know, look into other resources to dive in deeper. But, you know, to expect TAP to 
you know, give you everything to change your life in like one to three days sounds pretty unrealistic. And again, I do appreciate you speaking even from their perspectives, like what you got from the service members or transitioning service members is that they were preoccupied. A lot of them are too preoccupied to even pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so I really love how you have this personal sense of responsibility to be the best instructor you could to meet them where they're at. And you know, help transform them in those one to three days, even if it's just enough for them to realize that their original plan is probably not going to be the plan that they walk out with. Right. Yeah. And now they've changed the program. So my, when I was teaching, the program was three days just in employment. Mm -hmm. And now, like you said, they've taken that down to one day. And I can't wrap my head around how they could get, (laughs) I don't even know how they can get the curriculum in. I do know that they were trying to separate them into, then they could go further with an educational path or a career path. And then there was maybe more resources and information. But yeah, yeah, it's a a tough one. You know, I'm hearing this for the first time, really. It's like it is ever evolving. I did see that they do offer like e-learning now for people who cannot make it in person. So it sounds like it's like a self-guided transition assistant program and all that. Either way, though, I do like recognizing the fact that, you know, it's, it's all about like how the instructor, how invested the instructor is. And I also think it's the service member being in the right headspace to receive that information. And, you know, I remember my my husband would mention this or he, he'd, he'd often talk about this in his transition and what he's heard from other people. It's like a lot of transitioning service members are just happy to be in a room with AC. <laughs> like when they, when they, <laughs> that's right. kind of, they're just happy. I'm not a unit. <laughs> I can, I can breathe for a minute. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well that's it's a valid point. <laughs> you know, it is hot, you know, just weather. I get it. AC is great, especially in the summer, not yeah. at the time of this recording. And so, yeah, it, it is very interesting to, you know, hear your firsthand experience with it and, you know, to hear how it was incredibly important to you to be invested mm-hmm. in, you know, your students at that time. You also had a personal experience with military transition, and that was with your husband. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how that kind of ties into your story here? Absolutely. Yes. That is probably why I was so passionate about reaching my students where they were at. So my husband was in the Navy in the late 90s (laughs) and did four years active and four years reserved. And I met him kind of in the middle of that. And I didn't know anything about military service. And things got serious. And I said, you know, I'm not going to raise my children. And, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to get married. I'm not raising my kids in the military. I'm not traveling all over the place. I'm just not doing this. So would would you get out? And he did. And so he did four years in the reserve as well. Total, he did about 10 years out of active duty, where at the end of that 10 years, he reenlisted in the army. But during that 10 years, what he did in TAPS wasn't a thing in the 90s, not mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. It gave them kind of a crash course and said, hey, you should be able to get a job, go. And my husband came out, got a two-year degree in computer engineering, and was working through that whole period of time, worked for Loomis Fargo as an armored truck guard, worked as a cable manager where he supervised 20, 30 cable guys who did cable and worked consistently hard. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't make ends meet. We couldn't pay the bills. We couldn't pay the medical bills. We couldn't pay anything. I mean, we were, if we could have been bankrupt, we should have been bankrupt. Mm. I mean, it was very difficult. It was in the period of time where housing lost all its value, Mm. 2008, 2009. Yeah. And so we couldn't even give our house back. They were like, no, we'll just keep adding on to your mortgage. You don't, we don't want it back because there's so many foreclosed. And so we struggled, even though he worked consistently when I had my son, because we were not in the military, there was an extensive amount of bills with that that we yeah. were trying to cover. And just 
And he worked hard and he had a good military record and he did everything right. And he still, we didn't find a job Mm. that paid the money, that paid the benefits, and he was unhappy with it. And I watched him struggle to just be a civilian Mm. for that nine or 10 years where he just, it just was very difficult to transition back into. And he's, again, as, as I mentioned, we are Back in the army, at the end of 10 years, I went, okay, I give whatever you want to do. And he's like, I like the military. Let's go back. And, and, and we're back and we've been back for 13 years. But that period of time, I watched such an emotional struggle for him that when I got in front of service members, I was able to tell that story and say, look, I know exactly where you're coming from. And I know exactly where you're going because yeah. I lived it. And that story alone usually got their attention because he had a plan. Yeah. But the plan just didn't work the way we thought. We didn't know the medical bills were going to be so excessive. And we didn't understand that medical insurance coming out of your paycheck in the civilian world took a large portion of it. We were talking four or five hundred dollars each paycheck wow. was coming out for our medical insurance. And we were still paying 20% of the medical bills. Yeah. So that was a lot. And so very, very difficult. So yes, that whole life story there transitioned right back into that taps, which is probably where I could look at them and go, you know, you think it's gonna go this way, but it just may not. It just may not. And you have to pivot and have a plan A, B, and C. So when I talk to people now in career counseling, we always have that A, B, and C. What are you going to do <laughs> if? What are you going to do if? But yeah, that, you know, I have a spiritual person and whatever everyone's belief is, mine is happens to be in God. And I just feel like that whole life period of time prepared me to stand in front of thousands and thousands of thousands of transitioning service members and go, look, you got to pay attention to me because I know exactly what can happen. Yeah. And we can make it better and we can fix it and I can help you if you just plug in. And so that was really, really useful and really helpful. And I think it's what connected me to those service members because I knew what it was like if you didn't do it right. Yeah. And it was really hard. Well, I commend your husband and, and you because I, I know it was a family decision to go back to the military. And I understand that he essentially had to start from the beginning, correct? He did. When he went back to, so he was 40. When he went back in, our child was nine, wow. 10, and he went to the recruiter. And this is, you know, this is after 9-11. We are actively in war and walked into the army recru- or into the Navy recruiter and said, you know, I made a mistake like nine or 10 years ago. I, I'd like to come back. And they laughed. They went, yeah, thanks, but you're old. And yeah. no, you left us the first time. We don't really need you. But right across the street there's an army recruiter mm. and you got a clearance and it's a it's a ground war. So they might take you. And so the army recruiter was like, absolutely, <laughs> come on in. We will take you. You will get no signing bonus and you will start back down at a E2. Wow. And he had was probably at a six by the, when he left the Navy, something along that line. They said, you're 40. Yeah. So come on in. You get absolutely nothing, but glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we take anyone. Like, okay, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, we'll take it. Whatever. That's that's free medical, sort of. Okay, yeah. we got that. So that was kind of where he went. And he did. He went to boot camp at forty. Everybody thought he was a drill sergeant. <laughs> oh and, my gosh! Um, I can imagine. <laughs> literally on the bus from Meps, and people are like, "Drill sergeant, sir, what are you doing here?" And he's like, "No, I'm with you guys. I'm with you. It's, I'm right next to you." So it was to our benefit that he had all those years in service. Those first couple of promotions came rather quickly yeah, because it wasn't so much time in service. And then once we got to a, probably a five, we had to wait for time in service there at that point. But 
Yeah. Starting over at 40 was a really interesting learning experience for us as well. Yeah. Because everybody, so we went and our first duty station was Fort Carson and that was junior enlisted housing. And so everybody had toddlers Mm. and they were 25. Yeah. And there I am with a 10 year old. (laughs) And I'm in my mid forties. Let's go get yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah. They were like, you beer pong? I'm like, sorry, no, you know, I don't know. Sorry. No. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it was, wow, it was what a very a, interesting Christmas. That that must have been such a a humbling experience. And also I find that inspiring because, you know, um, my former co-host, uh, shout out to Jenny Lynn, like she talked about how her and her husband or her husband joined the military like a little later. But for them, it was like mid, like almost almost before they were 30. Like I think he joined when he was like 27 years old. And for them, that felt late. And so to hear oh, your family, it's like, hey, if you're not 40, like, I guess you're still pretty young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty late the game. It was, again, such a mission field for me because- yeah our marriage became an example for military, young military couples that maybe were just in it for the first time, just married, new baby, struggling. And so we could really come alongside them and mentor and help and just be a part of it. It's just kind of cool that we did come in at that point. And it's on the way to MEPS, my husband sat next to a young man on the bus and he was 18 and had signed up for the Navy, which yeah. is where my husband started. And he literally was crying on the bus. This kid, like, what did I do? Oh, my gosh. Where am I going with my? What was I thinking? Four years of my life I've just given to someone else. And my husband was able to talk to him for several hours on the bus and calm him down and yeah. tell him it's going to be okay. And the Navy's good. And this is what you want to do. And so from, almost from day one, We've been in that really cool mission mentoring space for the younger folks. And we still do a lot of that today. Uh, My husband was just talking about, he just promoted into a different position. And he's like, but I I am struggling because I don't want to leave. He calls them my kids because they are, they could be. He's like, I just don't want to leave my kids. I feel like there's so much we need to do and this and that. And so it's still very much a part of us to mentor the younger service members. Yeah, I, I love that sense of purpose. And, you know, to be able to do that. And, you know, obviously, as a career counselor today, you get to you get to know firsthand intimately, you know, how difficult this is. And but also like do it with joy because like you can understand where they're coming from. So I want to go ahead and, and talk about that now, because in addition to your background in doing TAP, and then also, with you know, with your husband's military service, I know that a lot of your experience inspires the work that you do. So give us a quick snapshot of what it looks like to do with the work that you do at um, Wendy Baird Packard. <laughs> Speaking up with Wendy Baird Packard. <laughs> oh, there you yes. go. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So my business is two pillars. One is the career counseling and development. And the second is everyday public speaking assistance. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the career counseling Career counseling for me, there's a lot involved in that. Yes, I take all that experience from the years that I worked in TAP. And that whole time I'm going to job fairs, I'm talking to recruiters, I'm talking to anybody who's hiring. I'm, you know, I'm really diving in to see how they're looking for great candidates. And I transitioned from that into workforce solutions. When I moved, I was with a contractor that was in Hawaii, and then we moved as a military family. Uh-huh. And the contract wasn't there. So I spent several months where I flew all around the country and did the classes, but I didn't particularly like to fly. And I was able to find a job in a similar situation with a workforce department where I worked with military spouses, then became the department manager, and then eventually went and worked on their board, their Mm. development board. So I got to see on that side when I worked with workforce, 
I started to work more with the employers. So what were they looking for? What was their biggest problem? And so many times it was a communication issue, which is why I developed the second half of my company, Mm. which is how do you talk to people? How is it retained? And how do you get the best results from your communication? So everyday public speakers are people that are managers, volunteer coordinators, leaders in volunteer, say you're the leader of your kid's band boosters or something like that. And how do you effectively communicate to get what you need and give information so it's retained? So Mm -hmm. all of that kind of feeds into the career development because I was able to work on the employee side when I was working through TAPS and then a little bit with workforce. And then I got to see the employer side Mm -hmm. when I worked further up with workforce development on what their expectations were for employees. And what I find fascinating about working on both of those ends, and I really love that because I can speak from both sides. What I find fascinating is this huge gap in the middle where employers are like, I can't find good employees. Mm. I can't keep them. And employees are like, I don't know. I sent my resume and I didn't hear anything and I just got ghosted and nobody Uh, talked to me. And there's this gap there that's, gosh, it's just still a puzzle to me on how we fix it. But I work really hard to do that to, to get people to communicate better. So there isn't that gap. Mm -hmm. But meeting people where they're at. And when I started career coaching, I didn't realize I was going to have to do a little bit of life coaching, Mm. which you have to, because when somebody's like, well, I had this job for three weeks and then I left. And then I had this job for four weeks and then I left. And then I had this job for five weeks and I left. I just, well, why is that? Mm. Let's, you got to take some ownership and responsibility. So let's see what's happening. And then we can assess kind of, well, I don't like when people do this or I don't, you know, then we have to kind of dig into who you are and what you are and what you really like. Mm -hmm. And then that leads us to kind of what we talked about. What is your dream job and how do we get close to that? And that's where the realistic unicorn comes in. I believe anybody can have the dream job they want Mm -hmm. realistically. If you're in your 50s and we talked about this example, if you're in your 50s and you want to be a professional basketball player. That's probably, that's the realistic side. But the unicorn in me says, why not? Mm. Why can't you work in the basketball field? There's got to be, if you're an accountant, let's look at these professional basketball teams and see if you can be an accountant there. Let's work in one of these big arenas where the basketball team plays. Let's look at some really diverse jobs that you might not even think are out there, like equipment (laughs) manager or bus driver or something like that. Why, Why can't you still have something in the field you want. And Mm -hmm. so that really gets into that kind of life coaching, what do you want? And then I have to help people get over the fear of success Mm. because people really, they really do. I see a lot of times people, we get very close and it always gets harder before it gets easier in a job search. We always kind of have to wait it out. And they're like, oh, I'll just go back to what I was doing. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, but you want this. You want this really cool big career and we can do it. It's just going to take some work and some time. But they're like, "Mm, I don't know. I'll just go back and do this. And that is a fear of success. Yeah. It's not a fear of failure. So we work through that as a a career coach. I kind of work through that as well. Yeah. I think that is very important to work through that fear of success. I think we all experience that to a certain extent because it means that we're stepping out of our comfort zone. We're stepping into the unknown. And like like you're mentioning here, sometimes it's just easier to fall back to what's familiar. It may not, it may not make you <laughs> happy. It may not make you feel purposeful. However, it's familiar. And so I really right. like how you say like, hey, you know, you are out of the military. Like you can now really dream about 
who you want to be when you grow up. Um, you're telling me what your dream is. Now let's make that happen. And more importantly, let's lean into it and let's find a way to sustain it and and tell yourself that you do deserve this. Like you do deserve to have like a different life, you know, a different identity um, that is not tied to your military service. So I think that is, um, you know, I think that's a wonderful thing to work through because I feel like well, that that is like the 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 little secret that I feel like a lot of us have is that fear of success. It's like I want this, I want yeah, that, yeah. but when it comes to the action, um, I think it is very easy for us to to self sabotage and think and think to ourselves, you know what? No, I'm just going to go back to what's familiar. Yeah, absolutely. I see it. My prize client. I shouldn't tell people this, but my. One of my prized clients is my child, my own child. Aww. And as a career coach, and I've been doing it for, I've had my company for just a year, but I've been doing this, I realize now for about a decade, mm. where I've been coaching people and working through the military spouses and helping people and volunteering as a career counselor and, and doing it for a long time. And so when you have a child that's coming up through college and he's trying to decide what he wants to do. So, and here's where this comes from actually talk about a little bit of life coaching. So I had a mom that grew up in that very practical age, you know, and you grew up and you got married and you got a job and you stayed at that job for 30 years and you got a pension and you retired and that's just what you did. And mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, born in the 60s and we started to move out of that in mm -hmm. the 70s and the 80s. And we're way out of that now. There isn't a big pension plan thing. There isn't people stay in their careers an average of three to five years. Mm -hmm. Job hopping is fairly common, but it was very difficult for my mom to wrap her head around doing something out of the box. Yeah. And so it was very, I was always this, again, this unicorn where I'm like, no, let's, I want to be an actress or no, let's do this or no, I want to do that. And she's like, get a practical job, you know, things like that. And so I was going to raise my child very differently. And that's how I approach my business as well. He, from a very young age, wanted to be a NASCAR driver. I said, all right, we're in the military. It's a little hard to build a a career yeah. doing that because we move a lot. So racing, everywhere he went, he raced something, a car of some sort or go-karts or something. We we figured it out. Wow. When he got time to go to college, he was recruited by a tech school to come out and learn engine building. But we looked at another college in North Carolina that had a very big engineering program mm -hmm. that works closely with NASCAR. And so we went to that college or he's still attending actually that college. And through that, he received an internship with a NASCAR team. And through that, that was last year, through that, he now has a paid position with an Xfinity NASCAR team. So wow. he is living the dream of working. In fact, he flew, yeah, he flew out today to be with his team in Michigan. So wow. he flies every weekend to work with his NASCAR team and be at the race. And it took us a hot minute when he got this job. We're so grateful for it. But it is weird when you reach the success that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And we were both like, how did this happen? But <laughs> yeah. we've been working for it for years. Yeah. And and he told me the other day, he goes, I know you don't like me to say this, but I feel like it's it's normal now. And I'm like, normal's good. Yeah. You know, you're working with the NASCAR team. And if he becomes a driver, great. Is that realistic unicorn. He may never drive a NASCAR, but he's sitting in the middle of the NASCAR jobs yeah. right now and he's got unlimited possibilities. So, you know, I just feel like I've lost track of the question, but yeah. I, feel, I feel like that uh, you can be successful just once you get there, that that little intrepidation like, whoa, I made it. Yeah. Is a little You know, that, that reminds me of a, a famous quote that I don't know who said it, but it went something like, 
aim for the moon because even if you miss, you'll land in the stars. And the stars. The way that this I can I relate this to, you know, your son's story is that, you know, he may not be a NASCAR driver, but he works for NASCAR. And, you know, yeah, how impressive is I mean, close enough, right? <laughs> like that's right. That is and pretty impressive. 20, so he's got some time to, you know, what to develop whatever he wants. He might end up driving. I don't know. It's on him now, but yeah. Yeah. We got to where yeah. And and also like you're talking about earlier with the transition assistant program when you were working with transitioning service members there, you really helped people realize that maybe that first plan that came walking in is not going to be the plan that they actually want to implement coming out. And so in a way you were you're able to help your son create, you know, have a realistic dream about working for NASCAR and, you know, I if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, "Hey, this is great." Like I, I yes, if I if he was so fixated on wanting to be a driver, he may have never worked at NASCAR, but now he was able to work close to it, you know, get to that. And it sounds like it's very much a gratifying career. And the fact that he's so young, you know, he has so many years ahead of him that who knows, like he, he has the rest of his life to find out if he could be a driver, you know? Right. And he's got the plan B. Went to college, he'll be a mechanical engineer. That's the plan B. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's always that multi-level plan when I work with career counseling that we need to plan B. Yeah. So what I hear from your son's story is first, like, it's kind of like, hey, tell me what your dream is. And now let's be a realistic unicorn here. Let's figure out how to get as close to that dream as possible. And should anything happen, make sure you have a plan B, C, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's sort of what I got from hearing his story. Did I hear that right? That's it. That's it. That's the whole model. That's how I work with every with every client I have. Yeah, I love that. And so I think that's great. And and even though even though you started your business about a year ago, like you said, you have been in the career counseling for a long time. So tell me what led you to start a business to begin with? So I'll, I'll kind of take it back to the TAPS class. I would be very frustrated when I heard people say they didn't get anything out of the TAPS class. Yeah. And I would be like, oh, that's yeah. because it wasn't delivered correctly. And so when I was in college, which was not that long ago, the speaking up with Wendy Baird Packard kind of came to me anyway, because I'm just a communication junkie. I mm. just really thrive on understanding people and communicating and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had that in the back of my head. Then when I went into the TAPS, I'm like, oh, this is where I need to be mm. because I could simplify the information and I make it fun. Most people don't like to job search. Most people are very intimidated by it. Most people are frightened and most people have one set. I've I have a resume, I send it out. I have a resume, I send it out. And it's usually not successful. And so I watched that happen over and over and over and over and knew I did it better. I think that's when you're an entrepreneur, you just have to know it's not conceited. It's not boastful. You just have to know that you do your product better. Yeah. And I know I do because it, so before I started the business, and this is kind of the answer to the question, I did it for free a lot. Mm. And people would be like, you really need to charge for this, Wendy. You really need to, (laughs) you really, really, you just spent like 30 hours and I got the job I'm looking for and you build all these resumes. You really should charge for this. And then my husband started saying, you really should charge for this. <laughs> you really are pretty good at this. You yeah. might want to, you know. And I'm like, oh no, I just love doing it. And I want to help. And it's really hard. And that's a whole thing in entrepreneurship that, you know, getting comfortable with charging people yeah. is tough because I do want to help. But my business model for this business is right now I do have to charge people for my career counseling services. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Eventually, I, my business model would be that I would do public speaking events, seminars, facilitate classes mm-hmm. where the budgets are bigger where I could charge them without hurting the pocket as much and then doing the career development one-on-ones for free. That would be the goal. That's the career model to 
that I'm striving for. But so I started the business because one, I knew I did it better. Two, I knew that I did it a lot for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and three, I knew I wanted to do it full time. And anything you got to do full time, you got to charge for it. And yeah. so that's where the business kind of was born out of. And it, it's taken some different turns. It's changed from it used to be three tiers. And now I've just taken it down to the two where I just do the pub, everyday public speaking and career development. And I think as an entrepreneur, your business just changes as you go. Yeah. And everyone kept saying, you should narrow it. You should narrow it. And I'm like, I really don't want to narrow it. And then it just felt very organic and natural. Yeah. That these were the two areas I wanted to focus on. And then I, I pulled the other one out because they kind of, I want to help build corporate culture yeah. better. So better employers with better corporate culture with through communication. But that kind of ties into the whole just speak better to your staff. And that, so I kind of merged it all together. So that's yeah. why I started it. I know I do it better. I, I see a lot of, career counseling that is surface level and generic and that's ineffective just like if you stood in front of the TAPS class and just gave information instead of digging deep into who's receiving the information. Uh-huh. And that's important to me that I really dig into my client to figure out what they really want and what they're really looking for. And we really work through that. And I just know that a lot of career counseling is here's a job, let's build a resume. And yeah. many times and people will say Will you just build my resume? And Mm -hmm. I will not. Yeah. I will build resumes and show you how I did it and why I did it. And then we start building them together and then you build them. I'm going to teach you to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of career counselors maybe aren't necessarily always doing that. Or there's a lot of great free services, a ton, which I highly recommend. But sometimes they're not going to be able to give you that personalized experience experience where when you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. Come on. We got this. Go, go, go. We got this. You know, so I started it because I just knew I did it better. And my husband said, you really should charge for it because you do it a lot. Yeah. And I really, really, as corny as it sounds, I want to help people have a better experience through their career development. Yeah. Well, I love how, you know, all signs pointed to you starting a business and charging for your time. And when you have everyone else telling you, plus your husband, you're like, yeah, I guess. Okay, fine. <laughs> and, and you want to do it all the time. You know, you want to do it. So I can't not charge. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And obviously, if you if you're very confident in what you know, you're good at, you know, it, it only makes sense to to charge for that time, you know, and, and to not just like give it out for free. So I think that I think that's wonderful that you listen to everyone. You listen to the peer pressure. It's a good peer pressure, I think, <laughs> you know, to have, you know, go ahead and start your business. And there's a book I really like called The E-Myth and it's E stands for entrepreneur. And the E-Myth is it pretty much debunks the way that most people typically romanticize entrepreneurship. But what I really yeah, what I really like about it is it really talks about how entrepreneurship is actually a reflection of the individual. The business is a reflection of the individual and more importantly, their their personal growth in building the business and growing the business. And part of that is evolving it. You know, you started off with like three tiers and now you're down to two. And that's why mm-hmm. when we were talking offline and you told me that you like looked up my company, I was like, oh, she did her research and I hope it made sense because, we're, you know, we're constantly like every time I have my powwow sessions with my husband, it's always talking about like new messaging or better messaging, you know? So just to be open to the evolution, like, like being open to allowing your business to grow and to like, mm-hmm. you know, fail forward in a sense, you know, to just try out the messaging, see what works. And I know that I know for you as a, as a communications professional, like that, make, you know, I think that's, it's very important to, 
you know, just try, try, you know, just throw some words out there and see what sticks and see what resonates with people and everything. So, so yeah, I think that is, you know, I do appreciate you sharing all that. And I know part of like our conversation today, um, or let me say this differently. So part of like our show holding down the four, we're very fortunate to have a uh, partnered up with the Rosie Network. And so I'm curious uh, what your experience has been like working with them, being part of their cohort program. I imagine that uh, added to uh, added to helping you build your business model. Absolutely. It did. They are amazing. And it's such an incredible resource for service members or spouses or things like that that are thinking of being an entrepreneur. They are incredible. I went into it with no expectation, mm-hmm. actually, just didn't really know. And to be, if I was honest, I'd say I thought I had a pretty good plan before I went in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> eh, all right, I'll take the information. You know, you always need to learn and grow, but I didn't expect, you know, as much as I got. I, it was phenomenal from the facilitator. She was amazing to the program is very extensive. Mm. It's going to touch on everything from business models to marketing, to networking, to government contracting, just you name it. And it just had some wonderful guests that volunteered and wonderful. They partner you with entrepreneurs and other people that give you advice. And it was extensive. It was difficult. There was work involved. And thought I thought that was really cool as well. Yeah. When I was starting the business, people used to say, like I said, I hard time charging people. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a job or you want to leave your job and I need you to pay me money. I had a hard time with that. But what I've learned as a coach is you have to, people have to have skin in the game mm. for them to find it important. You know, when I'm not charging you, it's easy to blow me off or not come to an appointment. When you've paid money, you're going to make your appointments. Well, the Rosie Network, I felt like really embedded that you have to be a hard worker if you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So you got to show up. Yeah, they didn't, there's no money involved. It's it's complimentary, but you graduate at the end and it, it, there's a graduation ceremony and they promote your business. And so you want to mm. make it to the end. Yeah, yeah. And so it's. I thought it was such a great program for that. You had to, it was six, eight weeks and you had to show up once a week and you had homework to do and you had to build this really hard pitch deck and they teach you to build that over a series of time. And it was challenging. And I sat here. And again, I'm a communications major. Recording is not that big deal, but it took me two days to record two sessions of that pitch deck. And I just said things over and over and just couldn't get it right. (laughs) Such a cool experience. And then of course, the networking, that's how we connected, you know, things like that. And there's still, I still as an alumni get opportunities to promote my business or they just did a golf tournament if I wanted to sponsor the golf tournament or things like that. They're still actively helping me Mm -hmm. get out there and get heard and get seen. So just a fantastic experience and helped me turn my business in a direction that really pushed me to move to grow it. Yeah. So I, I thought I was, but then I got in there and they gave me the pitch deck and they helped me with some marketing information and I was like, oh, now I am much more prepared to grow it and continue. I had dawdled around for six months with a website. was like, I can't do a website. I don't know. I can't do it. It's too hard. I I don't do techie. I do warm feely. You know, I don't do that. And I have a website now. And it's 99% because of them, because they helped me set up the pitch deck, which helped me really conceptualize what the website would look like. And I was able to take from that and build the site. And so it was just a hundred percent great experience and wonderful group of people and such a great need because entrepreneurship and you know we started with a class of I don't know 15 
I think we graduated eight or something wow. like that. And so yeah. that just if you if you talk about skin in the game, if you can't make it through that class, then it's going to be very hard for you to stay on top of your business continually. Yeah, you know, if you can't put the work in for there, then ooh, the tough days as an entrepreneur are going to be really tough, and you might not succeed. So yeah. it was really good for that. It sounds to me that program really prepared you for the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur. And it's like, if you cannot go through this program, then maybe it could be a reflection of how you would operate as an entrepreneur if you even operate for that long. So I think that's amazing how the Rosie Network is able to provide like such a meticulous program and really prepare you for the realities of what it means to run a business. And so so yeah, that's that's just really wonderful stuff. I, I've been kind of mentioning to my husband lately because he went to the cohort program like years ago. Like I, I think it was like way back in 2016, I think when they probably first started it. And I was telling mm-hmm. him the other day, I was like, I said, hey, you know, how cool would it be if like I went through it now, <laughs> you know, with our business with where yeah. it's at today? Anyway, I need to figure out when I'd want to commit to that. I'm kind of putting it out in the and putting it out there in the world that maybe I'll try for spring. But I'm just like, yeah, yeah. like I keep I'm obviously asking everyone on the show what their experience is like with the Rose Network that and I haven't personally gone through it myself but you know it's like maybe maybe it's time maybe it's time to get an update but I'm just really happy to hear that it was like a really great experience for you phenomenal I loved it I'd recommend it highly you got to do it yeah okay all right (laughs) yes (laughs) ma'am Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you know, as we start to come to a close here, Wendy, let's go ahead and talk about like what life looks like for you today. And sure. the key themes of our uh, of the season of season seven is about financial stability and self-sufficiency. And I'm curious, like what either of those words look like for you today, mm-hmm. financial stability for your business yeah. and self-sufficiency as an entrepreneur. So you can answer that any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, it's, those are good ones. Mm-hmm. Financial stability as an entrepreneur. As much as I want to do this full time, it's impossible to do that. So I have, as we mentioned, a son in college. Mm -hmm. I am in college as well. And so there's just not a way at this point that I can keep my business as my sole income. Yeah. So I, if we joke about it, have a side hustle, you know, so I have a part-time job that helps with that financial stability. For us, we're building for retirement Yeah. and we're trying to plan, we're trying to pay debt, so we have savings, we're trying to invest, you know, there's a lot of things to do. So this is not the time for me. And I hear a lot of people with entrepreneurship go, you know, you just got to jump in and I spent my last dollar on it. And yeah. I, I'm we just and great, that works for them. That doesn't give me the financial stability that I think we need yeah. for our future. So I choose currently to have a second job, which, you know, there's a lot of really cool, really big name people who did that. Yeah. yeah. So the gal who runs who ran Spanx, she just sold it for like a billion dollars or whatever. Wow. But she she created Spanx in her basement, I want to say, and for two years kept her day job and built that brand, and then it just ballooned. So that, for me, that financial stability requires me to keep that source of income coming in while I continue to build my brand and build my business. So that is kind of what that looks like. Self sufficiency, that's a good one. You know, being self-sufficient, so I've been married for 22 years. So whenever I say self-sufficient, I always, it's me and my husband. Yes. Yeah. So I know that there's probably younger folks that are listening that maybe they're married and they keep their money all separate and they that's fine. Whatever works for them. For us, it's all in one pot for us. And so self-sufficient is that we are able to pay for what we need 
and have some for what we want. Yeah. And and don't have to buy or or have credit or more debt to get it. So that's kind of, and we are taking care of, you know, we have food to eat, we have a roof over our head, all that good stuff. Yeah. But if there's an emergency, we can handle it without a lot of stress or burden on our bank account. So we, that self, I guess for me, self-sufficiency is that we have a safety net. Mm. And so whatever kind of comes at us, we have a big car repair bill or at one point we owned two properties. And if there was a repair bill on those, mm. you know, did we have the money to do that, that we didn't have to be reliant on credit or debt yeah. for that? So, yeah, I think that's kind of that. I love those answers. I feel like these two words and actually these two words are taken straight from the Rosie Network's mission statement. So and it happens to align with my company, U.S. Vet Wealth. So I, I'm always curious to know people's interpretation of it. And I think, again, you know, we kind of mentioned this quite frequently that people tend to romanticize entrepreneurship. And, you know, we think like, oh, you got to jump all the way in. And honestly, I want to see what that kind of person looks like. Like, are they single? Are they, you know, do they have like right. inheritance money? God like, them. If they're brave enough to do it, I just don't have that financial risk ability. Yeah. yeah it's like, who are these people? It's kind of, I feel like these are like the same people that are like the same types of, uh, People who would go on like a quick 30 day diet thing or something like these people are like looking for the get rich quick things. And right. also like yeah. that, the thing is, those things don't even exist. The get rich quick doesn't even exist. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. often say like an overnight success took like 10, 20, 30 years, you know. So right. And right. And I think like it is important to recognize even, you know, with the military community and culture is that, you know, there is no overnight anything. Everything is planned, you know. So I think that to share where you're at and to be, you know, to be that realistic unicorn you are and, you know, stating like, hey, like I I can't go all the way in. I have a son. I have a husband, you know, like, I mean, and I think the good thing is that I do like how you say that self-sufficiency is like for you, it means to have a safety net. And I hope that, you know, our listeners will really, you know, feel reassured that if they want to do a side hustle, or if they are having troubles with their finances, to recognize that you don't have to make a million dollars to be self-sufficient or to be financially free. It really just depends on what your needs are. You know, are your bills paid for? Do you have a roof over your head? Is your family getting fed? Do you feel like if you were in an emergency situation that you could be able to take care of yourselves regardless? So I think it's great to hear, you know, where you're at in regards to like what financial stability and self-sufficiency look like for you. I think that's probably, and I didn't think of it until now, it's probably why I didn't launch until I did. Yeah. Why I felt like volunteering, doing my job and volunteering. We just, I didn't, you know, my son wasn't in college. I just felt like there was too much at that point. Now, I encourage people to try things. Don't, you can't sit and wait until you're 90 to try things, obviously. But for me, easing into it was, and we talked about this the other day. I was just talking about how I work for my home office and I really would like to have a brick and mortar office and but that's just not yet financially feasible. Yeah. So to run out and get that and then hope the income comes in, that's just not practical for my business model. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think entrepreneurship can easily be synonymous with ego, like in a in a way where right. like people want to be flashy. They want to show the lifestyle. They want to have that Instagram-esque story of like, look at my life. Look how amazing it is. Look how flexible it is. And I'm just going to say now that is not <laughs> that is not like true of entrepreneurship. Right. Maybe for some influencers, like the only pe- I think the people who benefit from that is if they're building like an influencer type right. of business where they have to be showy. They have to like pour out their heart and soul and be vulnerable online because they're trying to get sponsors, you know, to align with the lifestyle they're trying to put out there. 
But if you're not a social media influencer, which basically is the majority of of the world, you know, there are other ways. There are other ways to make a comfortable living or to be stable without having to, you know, have social media suck the life out of you. I did say that. But yeah, that's my thought on that. Social media has its purpose. It's just that for some of us, for some of us, we use it, we don't use it, or we have different specific purposes for it. But anyway, I'll just, I'll probably edit that out. We'll see. Anyway, anyway, uh, Wendy, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Don't you think too, that people think entrepreneurship is that epitome of work-life balance? Like I'm going to have more free time yeah. and I'm going to be able to work life balance. And I think in any startup, any new company, you have more work than life sometimes yeah. as an entrepreneur. Yes. If you want to generate it, the income, you got to hustle and that make that takes a lot of time. So I think yeah. that's something people have to think about too in, in launching their businesses. Yeah, I think balance is also a myth. We can like toss that out of the window because it's like there are going to be different seasons in your life where, like you said, it's like, hey, I cannot launch my business right now because my son is not in college yet. You know, like just allowing yourself to like pace yourself depending on what life has in front of you right now, like is completely valid. Like not everyone is going to run their businesses 100%. You know, not everyone has the time or the resources or response or like lack of responsibilities to do that. Like, again, I'm trying to picture like, who is this person that goes all the way in? Right. (laughs) You know, and And yeah, go ahead. And the key there, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. The key there is if you can't launch it as a business, continue to build so you can't. Yeah. So that whole time that I wasn't launching as a career development coach, I was still doing it as a volunteer. Yeah. I was still gaining the experience. I was still building the business model. I was still picturing what it was going to look like. I was still working on my logo. You can do all of that yeah. while you wait. Exactly. There's um. I'm going to butcher this phrase, but it goes something like, even a seed in the ground is growing. So like, just because yeah. you don't see the seed have blossomed yet or blossomed yet, it is still growing. And I think that it's okay to be that entrepreneur that is still a seed in the ground. You know, the ground is great. There's a lot of nutrients, you know, like it's feeding you. Yeah. <laughs> like it's all, you're growing yeah, roots. Exactly. You're actually growing. Yeah, you know, that's you're, it. You're growing. Yeah, yeah. You're building and you're growing for sure. Yeah. Well, Wendy, I want to make sure that we cover everything you want to share, you know, about what you do, about speaking up with Wendy Baird Packard before we get going. So any final, I don't know, like thoughts or parting words of wisdom that you want to share to our military community before we go? Yeah, just that transitioning from the military into civilian, you can think about it all you want and you can imagine it, but it may just not look like what you think it is. Mm -hmm. And so having that, as we've talked about several times, multiple plans and using, there are thousands of resources out there for military to look at all the aspects of what they need to do when they get out. And so you know, your company, lots of companies that are going to help you. There's lots of different aspects of transitioning out. And there's the financial, there's the social, there's the physical, there's all of these things that you have to take into consideration. And then you have to take that consideration in with your family as well. So you're not just transitioning. If you have a family, they're transitioning as well. Mm -hmm. So just having a thoughtful plan and then being able to pivot from that and use your resources as much as possible. If you didn't get anything out of the TAPS class, okay, fine. Go to Hiring Our Heroes, go to the USO, go to your career development counselor at your base, reach out to Rosie Networks. There's just, I think somewhere, I and don't quote me on this, I'm not 100% sure, but there's something in the range of 40,000 nonprofits that mm-hmm. benefit military. Mm-hmm. So something very huge out there. So 
just continue to keep reaching and asking and stay connected because it is a difficult transition, just the loss of the camaraderie. Mm. I couldn't tell you how many people would sit in my class and go, I can't wait to get out of the military. But just him living it with my own spouse, I think that was his mindset. And then when he got out, it was very different. Yeah. That kinship and that. So stay connected with military friends and family and just plan, 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 plan to reach out for help. Wonderful. Well, I think that's all amazing. And Wendy, I want to you know commend you for starting your own business. And Thank you. I wish you all the success and no rush in earning full time. But I do hope that you eventually get there. And <laughs> that is my wish for you. Thank you. And yeah, and I, I thought I'd ask just because uh, usually when I get a, a, a step offline, I guess usually have things to ask me. So I thought I'd ask as a final question. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> I do. I do. I think, first of all, you're wonderful. And I love your company. And you are very great at what you do with this podcast. And thank you. (laughs) Really, really great. So just terrific and just peaceful and lovable and just great. So thank you. Good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Very easy to talk to. But so my question, this probably was not your life's work or thought or whatever when you went into the podcast. And everybody deals with this, but how did you deal with that imposter? Or did you? Did you have imposter syndrome at all? Like, what am I doing? Who's going to listen to me? What's going? How do I do this? What you know? And how do you deal with setbacks now? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, imposter syndrome. So I've been self-employed for about twelve years now. I started in my young adult years when I kind of had no choice. I was fired from four jobs in my young 20s, even though I did get the bachelor's degree. Like I did all the things that my family wanted me to do. But, you know, part of my background was being a military kid for the first 10 years of my life and, you know, moving uh, quite frequently. And so it was actually quite strange to me if people stayed at a job for a long time. And that's probably <laughs> right? that is why I got fired from four jobs, because I I didn't know at the time. But I realized I just that wasn't modeled for me. That wasn't my upbringing. Of course. And what I had found early on was that when I started to first hear about like sales and business, it's it's kind of like describing feelings you didn't know you could describe. But it's like, oh, that is so me. Like, like the more I started to learn about the lifestyle, you know, the more I decided to lean into it. And so I got into sales like early on. And then eventually I got into running my own social media business. And then I worked with my husband and we're still working together today, still together. Yay. Yay. So you can work with your spouse, y'all. It's true. It can really happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I will tell you that the majority of my 20s, I definitely struggled with the imposter syndrome. I just always felt like a fraud. And mainly because I come from a family of farmers from the Philippines. My dad joined the, the Navy and their aspirational goal, my parents' aspirational goal is that we find a successful nine to five career in the middle class. You know, they wanted to go up a class in a sense and they and they all accomplished it. All my family and friends, they accomplished it. So, I mean, mainly my family and relatives, that's what I meant to say. And so when I got into sales, very much an imposter syndrome, mainly because I didn't have role models. I, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, um, mm-hmm. like I didn't have any role models is what I'm saying. And so and so it was very real and I struggled with it a lot. And I got to tell you that the way that I had overcome it, because today I don't really like if I feel it, it just kind of sounds like a quiet voice in the very back of the room. You know, it's it's really like not there anymore. You were talking a little bit about your faith, like my my spiritual practice is incredibly important to me. I do believe in God and I identify as a Christian. And, you know, just just being able to be grounded in that, be grounded in your faith and recognizing that you don't always have to know the answers, but you got to walk, you know, you got to like go through the process. And it's it's in hindsight, right. you can look back and be like, oh, 
you know, just like what you're talking about with that, that whole 10 years in, in the civilian world, you know, you get to look back and be like, oh, that's why, you know, like in your that case, mean. like God put me through that so that, you know, I can be more relatable as a career counselor. So I think right. that even with setbacks, I don't see it as setbacks. I see it as my husband actually says this really well. I see it as new information. <laughs> so I, I've learned to take out in a way like fast forward to today, like after going through uh-huh. the imposter syndrome and and really like just being present and, you know, luckily having a husband who is very logical and being able to reframe things as like new information. Yeah, I'm able to essentially like kind of take the emotion out of it, even though I very much love what I do, but I'm able to, to like express my emotions where they should be, if that makes sense. Like I know how to like compartmentalize my feelings and focus on like, what needs to be done. Like I, I've become more logical and I'm able to be like, okay, so this is new information. You know, this is this is what we have in front of us. Oh, we seem to have lost a resource. Okay. Well, what do we do with what's in front of us? And and you know, for me, I, I have um I have a mantra that goes, find purpose in the present, joy in the journey, and blessings as you build. And mm. for me, that constantly helps me recenter myself and keeps me away from destination addiction, which I think, you know, uh, a lot of us tend to have where it's like, oh, if only I'm there, if only I do this, if only I may do that. Right. And it's really yeah. just like, it's like, you know what, right where I need to be, you know, and may, maybe the reason why I'm at where I'm at right now is because, you know, God is working through me or God is preparing me for the next stage of my life, you know, and, and again, looking back, I think about all the things that led me to where I am today. And it's like, oh, okay. That's why that's why he made me go through that walk or that's why he made me go right. through that journey. So I would say that's yeah. the key thing. And, and in fact, I was just talking to someone about this. Like, you know, they said, oh, what's your parting piece of advice? And I said, like, honestly, like if you're going to be an entrepreneur, I mean, this works for me. So I hope it works for other people. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a spiritual practice of sorts. Like you have to have a level of faith because this is not a job. You know, this is not a job where someone is going to tell you what to do. You don't have someone to blame but yourself. Right. And so you're stepping into faith every single day. So whatever that faith looks like for you, for me, it happens to be God. You know, Jesus Christ is my savior. You know, and I got to tell you, it's I'm not just, you know, believing in God just to work in my favor, but it's because I already have that spiritual foundation that I can just look at setbacks as, oh, new information. Very interesting. Okay, what are we going to do with that? You know? So anyway, I hope that answers your question. It did. It's lovely. That's awesome. It's it's very cool because like you said, our faith is kind of God has a purpose for you. It's yeah. his purpose. And so what am I on the planet for? And when you find it, you know it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of what you found. And I found that. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. And we're all in this together is kind of how I'm saying. Yeah. We're all trying to figure <laughs> yeah. this out. And I mean, we'll know, we'll know at the end of the, we'll know when we're dead, like if it all was right. all supposed <laughs> to happen. But until then, I'm going to live my life and trust that there's a purpose for everything. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for your very time. Welcome. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And I hope our listeners got a lot out of this. And again, to our listeners, if you do want to learn more about Wendy, we'll have her contact information in the show notes and in the credits of this episode. Wendy, thanks again. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It has been wonderful. Just thank you. A blessing for me. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. And to everyone else, thanks for listening. And we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Hey, this is your host, Jen Amos. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Visit holdingdownthefortpodcast.com to access the full show notes of this episode, including resources mentioned and bonus content. Once again, that's holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. 
Lastly, stay after this outro music for something a little extra. Thanks again and chat soon. Bye for now. everyone. Thank you for hanging out in the post commentary. I always enjoy this moment because I feel like I get to like exhale and take off my shoes. And in a sense, you know, just, you know, relax and figuratively fall back into my couch, my favorite couch in my living room, and just be a little more candid with you all. And, you know, at this point, if this is the first episode you are listening to, you may have noticed that my audio quality may have been different from Wendy's in a sense that it may or may not have sounded a little bit choppier. And so if you actually made it to the very end, I want to say thank you. My audio quality has been a huge insecurity of mine since the beginning of this season. And if there's anything I have learned throughout the years of podcasting is that done is better than perfect. And, you know, given our schedule and given all the things that we wanted to accomplish, including our free podcast portal and marketing and featuring the stories of all these incredible people who've been on our show, it just wouldn't have been practical for us to have re-recorded a number of things. And so I apologize if that was distracting. And I want to thank you for having stuck it through. And I hope that you would have given me grace and give me grace now. And really, really, I, I hope actually that you got a ton of value from this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for making this far. And if you really enjoyed this and you want to continue to eat up anything holding down the fort related, highly recommend that you join us in our free podcast portal. That's holding on the fort podcast.com forward slash portal. You will get a ton of free stuff on there. I, I mean, if this is your first time listening to me talk about this, at the time this episode is out, we will have a ton of bonus content, mainly about like how to start a podcast, you know, what my journey has been like here at US Bet Wealth and being self-employed for 13 years and just bonus content from our guest and also free resources from my company here at US Bet Wealth. And so if that's something you want to check out or even just peek into, once again, go to Holden on the Fort, podcast.com forward slash portal. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll speak with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.